Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us. It's really hard to think about how to start the show this morning. But I want to start here. I was frightened this weekend by the synagogue shooting that we all saw happen in Pittsburgh. I was frightened for the community that endured the violence, for the Jewish citizens of our country, and for the direction we all seem to be headed. And I was frightened for myself, too, in a much smaller but poignant way. Does any of us believe anymore that this couldn't happen in our social circle, in the communities where we live, or in the places where we worship? This is where we are right now, just in the last few weeks. Jews get killed at worship. Blacks are targeted in Kentucky for no apparent reason. And bombs are mailed to political enemies. It's always hard to know what to say when something like this happens or what to counsel when you think about how we put things back together and maybe try to go forward together. But I think we do have to keep trying. I do think we have to keep talking. And I do think we have to keep thinking about all of these things, what they mean to us, what they tell us, and what they ask of us. That's where I want to start the conversation this morning. And I've invited Howard Lupovich, who is an associate professor of history and director of the Cohn Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University, to join us. We also really want to hear from you this hour about what happened in Pittsburgh. What was your reaction to the shooting? What do you make of all the hate-fueled violence of late and so much of it tied our politics and our political differences. Do you think we're descending into a new era where this is going to be the way we deal with each other? This is the way we settle our differences? Or are you more hopeful that we can get to peaceful times again, that we can get back to the place where we can disagree without being violently disagreeable? The number on the phones, as always, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Howard Lupervich, I want to welcome you to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Good morning. Let's just start with your reaction to the news over the weekend, and I'd really love for you also to give us a sense of how this looks from the Jewish community, how this feels, what people are talking about and saying and sharing with each other. What's the, what's the response here? Well, obviously it was stunning and shocking. I mean, uh, I, I think as, as, as several people have noted, this is probably the, the single worst violent act against Jews in American history. 
um, I mean, 11 fatalities. So, so tragic and shocking, and our heart goes out to the victims and the families and the Jewish community of Pittsburgh. For, I think for American Jews more broadly, this is kind of a wake-up call. As if you, you know, if we step back a moment and think about the larger the history of anti-Semitism in our country, you know, you, you, when you think about anti-Semitism, you, you categorize it. So there's, there's anti-Semitism, which is polemical, you know, words and speech and the written and spoken word. And then there's anti-Semitism that's systemic, you know, anti-Jewish laws. Uh, and then, of course, there's anti-Semitism, which is violent and eliminationist, targeted at killing Jews. And I think you can, you can make similar categories for other forms of racism and prejudice as well. But uh, to this point, the Jews in America really haven't experienced the violent eliminationist sort of anti-Semitism on this scale. To this point, it's been largely polemical in nature, which is not to diminish it. Polemical anti-Semitism is, re- is reprehensible and it's hurtful, but it's also not violent. And so that there is this kind of wake-up call. And uh, as an American Jew, it's hard not to uh, see this, this, this event uh, as, as a kind of game-changer, as a pivotal moment. But it's also not, it's hard not to see it in the larger context of the toxic discourse we've had for the last couple of years in this country. So I want to talk a little about the idea of being Jewish in America and the fear that attends being Jewish in America. I think you put your finger there on on a really important concept, which is that for the most part, Jews in this country haven't experienced the kinds of things that Jews in other parts of the globe have had to deal with more consistently in terms of anti-Semitic laws, specifically anti-Semitic laws, violence, ostracization, those those kinds of things. At the same time, there there must always be that sense that that's possible, that, that, that what happens in other countries, what's happened in history could come to America in 2018. Is, is that an I accurate? agree. There's always a sense that it's possible. But I think, I mean, prior to yesterday, for the most part, anti-Semitism in America, has, it's been largely non-mainstream. It's been more marginal or peripheral. I mean, the one exception, interestingly enough, is during the 1920s and the 1930s. There was a surge of anti-Semitism there. Uh, in fact, two of the most vocal anti-Semites in our country were in this community, were Henry Ford and Father, Father Charles Coughlin. There was also a surge of hooligan violence against Jews around the country. Um, and I would say, you know, and I've actually said to students and other people who, 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 who listen to me talk, that uh, for the most part, it's been non-mainstream. After, after this weekend, it's, it's harder to say that. It's also interesting that the spike in anti-Semitism during the 1920s was prompted by a similar set of circumstances. So in the 1920s, and the, the anti-Semitism in the 1920s in America was largely a symptom of uh, anti-immigrant xenophobia. And this, the shooter this weekend, he made it very clear he wasn't only targeting a synagogue or Jews, he was targeting a synagogue for the specific reason of combating a Jewish organization, Hias, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, that has dedicated itself to help first Jewish immigrants, but then eventually all immigrants and refugees come to this country. So this shooting was not simply uh, uh, an act of violence, a terrible act of violence against Jews. This was uh, was prompted by anti-immigrant xenophobia. 
I also want to talk about the target here, a synagogue. There's something about that that strikes me as particularly American in in some sense, in the sense that, that attacking places of worship is historically a way for certain factions in this society to express their anger. But I also want to talk about the idea of the openness of a place like a synagogue or a church, the idea of not, you know, battening it down to, to, to prevent against this, something like this. There is something vulnerable about that kind of space that I think makes what happened over this weekend uh, particularly heinous, but but also raises that that question about that openness and and why that's important and why it probably won't change even now. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, attacking a synagogue or a church is especially heinous, but you're right, and there is a vulnerability to it. I mean, when we think about a synagogue or a church or any place of worship, mosque, whatever, it's a sanctuary, and the word sanctuary has a great double entendre, very, very relevant, I think, is that on the one hand, we use the word sanctuary to mean safe space, but sanctuary also comes from the Latin, which means sacred space, so the sacred and the safe of it uh, we, 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 want to, we want to think of it as a place where we don't need to have, for example, armed guards. It's a place that people will naturally respect. And so when people disrespect a space like that, it's, it's, it's taking advantage of not just the vulnerability, but the, the preferred vulnerability. We want to think that these places will be respected. And when someone attacks it, it just makes the attack all the worse. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Howard Lupovich. He's an associate professor of history and the director of the Cohen Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University. We are talking about the Tree of Life synagogue murders in Pittsburgh that happened this weekend, what that tells us about violence in this country, what that tells us about the hatred that some people have in this country and how they are moved to express that hatred. And we're talking about sort of how we put things back together or start to put things back together in a way that makes things like this less likely to happen than they seem right now in our country. As always on the phones, the number is 313-577-1019. We'd love to hear your reaction to the shootings this weekend. What do you make of all this hate-fueled violence that we are seeing, uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Theodore. Theodore in Detroit, what's on your mind? Good morning, uh, Theodore. Uh, excuse, no, I'm Theodore. Uh, good morning, Stephen <laughs> uh, and Howard. Um, First-time caller, long-time listener. Um, I think that my frustration from this week, last week's events, stems from what seems to be a uh, an agreement that we're all equally to blame, and I just don't feel that way. I don't. I, I have not seen the same kind of violence, and then the shooter saying it's because of President Obama's rhetoric. I have not seen the same kind of uh, bombing attempts and then saying I was inspired by the Clintons or I was in the, I don't see the same of 
progressive, liberal, democratic leaders inspiring the same kind of violence. I don't, be- I, I don't believe that saying you hate racism is the same, is as equally as toxic as being racist or saying that we will not tolerate sexual harassment uh, is the same as being a harasser. And so I just I think it's, it is disappointing for us to be so simplistic in our in our conversation about saying, well, we're all to blame. We all have to talk better. I don't think we all have to talk better. I think some of us have to talk better. Hmm. And I'll listen to, to your response. Theodore, I, I really appreciate the call and the comments. And I want to say a couple things before I get to Howard's reaction to that. You're, you're absolutely 100 percent right. And. Let's talk about what happened here and put it in some historical context. So this was an attack on a Jewish synagogue uh, driven, as the shooter said, by a, a fear that that this Jewish group was helping this caravan that's coming north from uh, Central America to, to the, the border with Mexico. You can't look at that and dissociate it from the history of church violence in this country. And that means you can't dissociate it from the history of white supremacist violence in this country. Uh, the the extreme uh, uh, white conservative political movement has always had in its back pocket the tool of uh, terrorism against churches and has used it consistently throughout our history to, to to make its points. And you're right that there is no corollary to that on the other side. You have never heard of African-Americans attacking a white church uh, to say, to make a political statement about racism. You have never heard of uh, Jews mobbing a Methodist church or shooting up a Methodist church or bombing one as a way to make a point about anti-Semitism. There is not an equivalence there. And I think you're right. It is very important that people note that. And when they are talking about solutions and ways forward, that they don't get caught up in that false equivalency. Uh, Howard, I'll let you respond as well. Well, Theodore, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's a great point. And Stephen, what you said as well is that to, to somehow generalize this, it dilutes it. And those who generalize, I'd say, are delusional by doing so. This is this is a this uh, this attack uh, grew out of a very specific attitude toward immigrants, toward people of color, towards Jews, towards. And, and in addition, this the shooter. He, I mean, he acknowledged the fact that he, he was buying into a conspiracy theory about Jews, that somehow Jews are masterminding not only this immigration movement or this caravan, but also the undermining of American society or white American society. So, yes, this is a this was a specific type of person who was responding to or who was guided by or misguided by a very specific set of ideas. Yeah. And, and that's what turned it violent and virulent. I agree with you 100%. Theodore, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Anne in Waterford. Anne, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Uh, first, I want to compliment you. your speaker, Lukovic. He's hit the nail right on the head on a number of issues. Thank uh, you. Specifically, that even though the current political climate does not has not specifically targeted Jews, they're anti-immigrant, uh, pro-white, 
and re- Trump recently coming out and referring to himself to as a nationalist. And some of his supporters say, oh, he didn't mean a white nationalist. Of course he did. It's coded language. He is still appealing to that base element. And by doing so, he is encouraging these admittedly disturbed people into taking actions that they wouldn't otherwise take. He and his backers bear responsibility for what's going on. I'm a liberal. But I know that we need both conservative and liberal to run this country. It's compromise. It's working together. And Trump has destroyed that. He continues to preach hate and bigotry and racism. And people like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are moral cowards. The Republican Party is morally bankrupt because they refuse to stand up to this man so that they can get tax cuts. It's a shame and it's embarrassing. And I'm sorry. And that's okay. okay. I, I really appreciate the call and the and the comments. Howard, talk a little about how much you assign responsibility or blame for what happened to the climate that's created by the president specifically. And and by that I mean how much do you think it may have to do with the climate that created this presidency as opposed to to the presidency itself creating it is it it's a kind of a chicken and egg uh, question i guess is, is is this about the times we live in or is it about the person who's in the white house well i'm not sure you, i'm not sure you can separate the two because the person in the white house the fact that he's in the white house was made possible by the times that he live in uh, he lives in that we live in and uh he he's actually intensifying the times that we live in so in some sense these ideas have been around. They percolate. They've been around. And I think in some sense, uh, the alt-right has been disseminating these ideas since the 90s. So there are people who have gotten a dose, a steady dose of this for a couple of decades. I mean, the same people who believe the conspiracy theories against the Clintons, for example. But what the president has done is he's intensified the dose. In the last two years, We've been hearing it much, much more intensely. So the president insists that he's not, a, he's not personally an anti-Semite. And uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I've never been inside his head, thankfully. And, uh, but what you can't deny, his personal view, if he was an ordinary citizen, that would be something. But he is the president. It isn't just what he believes personally. It's what he says. And his rhetoric, and I'm not talking about his rhetoric about Jews, because he's been he hasn't been blatantly anti-Semitic about Jews. Not, not very much, anyway. But... He has fed those those ideas and those hatreds, which contribute very much to the intensification of, of anti-Semitism. So at the very least, the very least, indirectly, his rhetoric is very much responsible for this. And I think, I think one of the things, uh, especially for American Jews who voted for him, this is going to be a moment of deep soul-searching. It, like like Anne said, this is a moment where you have to ask yourself, I supported this man for certain reasons, for certain specific reasons, and I, on the assumption that his hatred was not going to spill over and affect Jews, but now it has. And, and so, and what so do how you do you how do you respond? Right? How do you well how 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 uh, how Trump supporting American Jews respond to this is going to be very interesting because till now the standard response has been to deflect. It's, I think it's something you uh, you alluded to, and Theodore also alluded to, that to try to say, 
well to try to diminish the severity of this kind of anti-Semitism by pointing to other forms of anti-Semitism. You know, usually it's you diminish you diminish the severity or the seriousness of the anti-Semitism on the right by pointing out that there's also anti-Semitism on the left, which are which are both anti-Semitisms, but they're different kinds of anti-Semitism. So Trump supporters tend to deflect instead of responding directly to the criticism. They they respond, for example, by pointing at someone else, trying to change the subject. But now it's more difficult to change the subject because this is a very serious moment. Sure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the Tree of Life synagogue murders in Pittsburgh and the climate that helped create those murders. We want to stay with you and have you stay with us on the phones as well. Tom in Northwest Detroit, Corey in Canton, Vernon in Auburn Hills. We will get to you next. The number is 313-577-1019 if you want to join that conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Howard Lupovich. He's an associate professor of history and director of the Cone Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University. We're talking about the Tree of Life synagogue murders in Pittsburgh, what they tell us about the times where we are living, what they tell us about violence and hate, what they tell us about how we might Put things back together in this country. Get away from not just the heated rhetoric, but the awful violence that too often seems to attend that rhetoric. If you want to join us in the conversation, you can always call 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Corey in Canton. Corey, what's on your mind? Um, hi, thank you so much for taking my call. This is a little bit tough, so I'll try to get through it. But um, I'm a Jew who grew up in Metro Detroit in a very uh, largely Jewish community. So anti-Semitism was always kind of abstract to me. It was something I heard about from my grandparents, you know, who are Holocaust survivors. But the shooting this weekend made it more concrete than maybe anything um, I've ever experienced because when I went to drop my children off at Hebrew school yesterday morning, the first thing I saw when I pulled in the parking lot was a no-buy um, police vehicle. And then the rabbi introduced my children to Officer Jim as we walked in. Um, and I really wish that I could say, hey, you know, they're being overly cautious here. There's nothing to worry about. But I can't say that because it's not true at this point. And I'm I'm scared. <laughs> Uh, and I'm angry that there are people out there who are, you know, fanning this flame that is scaring so many Jews. Corey, I, I really appreciate you calling and sharing that experience. I imagine that there's a lot of people who are in the same the same kind of situation, finding themselves in a different space, in familiar spaces after this happened. But but I I really appreciate your calling and sharing that with us. Howard, how, how much do you expect that this will change the way synagogues operate, that, the, that people interact with their places of worship? 
Well, the reality is, I mean, synagogues have always taken security measures, primarily on the, on the high holidays, when there are a lot of Jews in synagogue. Uh, and I think there are going to have to be more security measures now. I think this is a this is a throwback to the immediate aftermath of 9-11, for example, where every Jewish organization and building in the country had more had uh, more strict security in the, in the fear of, a, of subsequent attacks on Jewish targets. The one, I, I guess, the one ray of hope I could offer Corey here is that, yes, this was a terrible act of violence, but it's still not clear that this was an isolated act of violent hooliganism, or if this is part of something broader and more concerted. Now, from a security point of view, we have to assume the latter, and we have to prepare for the possibility of the latter. But what will become clearer in time is. Is this going to be a, 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 a admittedly tragic but still isolated incident, or is it going to be a new trend? That we don't know yet. We don't know if this is, in other words, if this is an anomaly or if this is the new reality. But you're right. I, 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 I agree with you. We, we, uh, we, have to, we have to be concerned and fearful and vigilant and diligent about the possibility that this is a new reality for us. Again, Corey, I'm really sorry that uh, you had to experience that yesterday, but I'm very glad you're listening and that you called to share that experience with the listeners here. Let's go to Angela in uh, Hamburg. Angela, welcome to Detroit. Hi. Hi. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I'm a, a conservative, and I listen to you all the time, and it's, this, is, this discussion that's happening right now seems like it's really an opportunity to smear conservatives who have nothing to do with this kind of hatred. But it seems like when something really horrible happens, how can we tie this back to conservatives with whom we disagree? And how can we smear them somehow and smear Donald Trump? When in reality, we are pro-legal immigration and we are pro, um, pro-Israel in a very great sense. And right now, nobody's talking about the fact that Donald Trump moved the, the capital of um, move the embassy. I'm sorry, a little bit nervous, but um, you know that the the pro-Israel things that Donald Trump has done, and the the pro-immigrant things that conservatives do. But nobody wants to see any of that. And I personally have experienced a tremendous amount of hatred from the black community as a mother of. Um, a biracial daughter, and there's there's hatred that goes both directions, but I don't need to make a big deal out of that. What we need to be doing is working toward unity and pushing out these kind of people that, that do violent things and or even dialoguing with them so, and discussing with them. So, Angela, I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying, and I really appreciate your calling to share. I, I, I do have a question, though. If you consider yourself a conservative, and if you're concerned that conservatives get, as you said, smeared by the things that some conservatives do and say, do, do you feel an obligation to stand up and point out the things that conservatives are saying that are wrong? In other words, you, you want the president to get credit for moving the embassy in, in Israel. Are you also standing up and decrying the things that that he and others have said about this Jewish group that works with immigrants. Uh, doesn't it go both ways? He's crazy. He has nothing to do with any conservative. I've worked on every level of government. I've volunteered and then also worked in different areas. Nobody that I know that's a conservative 
supports anything like that. I don't know any anti-Semites. And I know a lot of people. I know thousands and thousands of people. I don't know. Nobody that I know of is actually anti-Semitic. So for this to turn into a political argument that says, oh, conservatives are to blame for this, what I really think that it is is the way that liberals hear conservatives and slap hate on it and say this is hatred and don't value the perspectives that conservatives have. So, so Angela, I have another question for you. Let's look at history. The history of church bombings, of attacks in churches in this country is 100% one-sided. Liberals have never attacked conservatives in their churches. They don't bomb churches or synagogues. And so what you're saying to me, I guess, doesn't just doesn't square up with reality. The truth is that there is there has been a systematic attempt to put down African-Americans to 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 make sure that Jews and other religious minorities don't attain equality through violence. And and I don't know that pointing that out is somehow smearing conservatives or not giving them a chance. Not looking at the, the racial history of the Democratic Party that was pro-slavery, that was... The Democratic um, Party was, was, it was a conservative party when it did that. I mean, the, the, the Democratic Party was the party of the Ku Klux Klan in the South after, after the, the, the Civil War. That has nothing to do with the party that Lyndon Johnson leads to pass the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s. I mean, there was a real shift in the way that those things happen. It's not about Democrat or Republican, but it is about conservative, I think, or liberal. Uh, Howard, could, could, could I add something here? Yeah, yeah. I, I, thank you for the comment. And I have to say first, Angela, is that I think, um, first of all, I, I'm always heartened to hear someone who is conservative speak this way, mm-hmm. and to, especially to distance yourself from the president. Uh, I, I, and I think you're right to say uh, all conservatives are complicit. It is itself a simplification. But I think Stephen also has a point. And I think, I think the, real, the real issue here is I I agree with you. I, let's or let's let's say you're right. This is not something that most conservatives would do or believe. But the fact of the matter is, we're not talking about individual conservatives, but we are talking about uh, a Congress which has a conservative majority, which has been empowering the president or uh, the the voters that put him in the office. In office were conservatives, and and so indirectly, insofar as you have put. President Trump in a position to uh, have an audience for this antagonizing and toxic rhetoric. There is some complicity there. Now, what you mentioned about the embassy and Israel, I think you're right, but I don't think that's relevant to this. That's a separate issue. And hiding behind a pro-Israel policy has really nothing to do. It's wide of the point of the, the inherent racism of the president and some of his supporters in this country, those are two, that's kind of apples and oranges. Uh, again, Angela, I really appreciate that you listened to the show. I really appreciate that you called and shared your perspective. Uh, I, and I, I hope did. all conservatives are like you. I yeah, right. Great. If all conservatives right. are like you, we have a much better country. If we Thank can you. actually have a dialogue across that divide. That is a huge part of of the solution here. So, so Angela, I really do want to 
want to thank you for for participating this morning. Uh, let's take one more call. Uh, Eric in Plymouth. Eric, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, my comment is, you know, you're going back to people um, blaming Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan for enabling the president, and you started to talk about it. I'm so glad you did, but it comes down to the individual voters. If you look at history, especially after the election, McConnell and Ryan were kind of anti-Trumpers, and when they saw the unanimous support the president had by Republican voters, they just basically stopped being a check on him. And when conservatives say that they don't um, incite violence and they don't approve of it, the fact that they keep voting conservative is going to enable it. It's time for them to demand more of their president and more of their party and talk about uh, being better than what's going on rather than enabling it because the policies that they're passing work for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I, I hear exactly what you're what you're saying. And I think there is this this increasing burden, I guess, on on people in this country who consider themselves conservatives, who consider themselves supporters of the president to stand up and and say when these kind of things happen on the heels of the kind of rhetoric that he indulges, that that there isn't a way to hide from the responsibility there, that that this is part of what he's doing in a very loose sense of the word of, of, of doing. Howard, I'll, I'll give you the last word on all of this. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's a great comment. Uh, and I think if you're the majority party, which conservatives are now, Republicans are now, you have the responsibility, the direction that the country is going, you have to bear some of the responsibility because you're the majority party, you've enabled it. And it really is coming down to voting. I mean, that is... And so far as McConnell and Ryan have abdicated some of their responsibility to check the president and a Republican dominated Congress hasn't really been checking the president, the next check and balance available to us, the next check available is the vote. And um, I mean, we are moving up to a very important date. We're going to have a real sense of where the country is going after November 6th. Okay, Howard Lupovich, Associate Professor of History and Director of the Cohen Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University. It was really great to have you here with us this morning. Thank you. Everyone should vote. Yes, everyone go out and vote November 6th. Yes. Thank you, Stephen. Up next, we are going to talk more about the midterm elections with someone who sees the world a little bit differently than I do. It is Opposite Monday. We've invited someone in to come and talk from a different perspective about what we will all do on November 6th at the ballot box. Stay with us on Detroit Today.